yeah, I still feel like I'm on the path for sure. And there's a lot more wealth that I want to grow and things I want to do. But I'll tell you, it's when I think back to where we were and what both of us, my wife and I both have done to be where we are today. It almost like if you'd have told me this is where we were headed 10 years ago or what I would have told you you were nuts because I could not, I couldn't have imagined we'd ever be able to buy real estate again or that I'd ever want to, you know, and here, here we are with, <laughs> with several properties later and we're still, we're still chugging along. Welcome to the Creating Wealth Show with Jason Hartman. You're about to learn a new slant on investing, some exciting techniques and fresh new approaches to the world's most historically proven asset class that will enable you to create more wealth and freedom than you ever thought possible. Jason is a genuine self-made multimillionaire who's actually been there and done it. He's a successful investor, lender, developer, and entrepreneur who's owned properties in 11 states, had hundreds of tenants and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your financial independence day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode number 1567 for those of you watching the live stream, I'm just doing the intro portion for our guest today, who will be none other than Rick Sanchez from RT America News. His slogan is, let's do news, and he really does live by that. It is so rare nowadays, sadly, so rare to see journalism. <laughs> I mean, everything has become an agenda. Everything has become an opinion piece. Absolutely refreshing to see some real news out there. So just thought I'd uh, share this intro portion of the podcast with you. If you're watching the live stream, if you're watching the podcast, hey, it's pretty normal. But I have a few visuals to show you, and these visuals will be on the video on our YouTube channel with Rick Sanchez. So let's go ahead and dive in. I got some staggering numbers here. Are you ready to have your mind blown? Post any comments or questions below. We will try and get to those for you. But let us know where you're located and where you're watching or listening from. Okay, so uh, Rick Sanchez will be up in a few minutes, but here are some mind-boggling numbers for you. So the first one, these are all from the Wall Street Journal, by the way. Wall Street Journal, excellent publication. I'm a big fan. They do a great job. So $3.87 billion, that is $3.87 billion, almost $4 billion with a B dollars, that is the value of the securitized commercial real estate loans in foreclosure last month. Did you really let that sink in for a moment? Many real estate investors and analysts expect this number to grow soon. Duh. Yes, it's going to grow a lot. The commercial real estate market now, of course, that depends what type of commercial real estate you're talking about. But sadly, we are going to see this get a lot worse. It is going to get a lot worse. Office properties, and we'll get to that in a moment with another staggering number below. Office properties, hotel properties, retail properties, of course, those are all very, very hard hit, but others as well in different ways to different extents. But uh, the industrial and the multifamily housing, you know, that's why I like housing. It's all about housing, if you ask me. I, I love housing. That's my favorite asset class in the real estate world or in, or in any world for that matter. It's all about housing. That holds up really, really well because at the end of the day, 
everybody needs a place to live. They can outsource the office jobs to home, which is what we've been doing the last many years, really a couple of decades, but certainly the last several months. And they can outsource them to India, China, and the Philippines to a large extent, those office jobs. Certainly they outsource the industrial jobs to China and other Asian countries quite a bit. And then these call center jobs with office properties and outsourcing retail to the internet. So lessening the need for all of that type of commercial real estate. While at the same time, the population is growing and there is a huge housing shortage in the country. So be a housing investor. That's where the action is. Okay, look at this next stat from the Wall Street Journal again. 100,000. This is the um, square footage of office to sublet or sublease that Twitter is now putting on the market, uh, citing Twitter saying, what, what are they citing? Decentralization. <laughs> yes, they've told people to work out of the house. And the interesting thing that's happening in the office property market is that a lot of large companies are going to this, and you've heard it in the airline industry, you've heard this phrase before, hub and spoke, the hub and spoke model, where they're going to do these small suburban, because that's where everybody's moving, to suburbia, right? These small suburban office spaces that are just little centers where their home-based employees, newly home-based employees, can go and maybe if they just need to get out of the house, maybe the kids are making a lot of noise and they can't concentrate, they can go and work there doing what they call office hoteling, where they just use a desk and these are hot swap desks, right? Or they can go and use a conference room and have a meeting. And an interesting concept, by the way, I don't know if you've noticed this. Unfortunately, this is not a big enough thing. I hope it becomes bigger. But Capital One, Yes, the bank, credit card company, right? Capital One. They have these uh, coffee shops in different cities and they're really cool. I mean, they're so much better than Starbucks. Starbucks sucks. Yeah, boo. For so many reasons, Starbucks just sucks. Anyway, Capital One has opened up these kind of conference center coffee shops with really nice facilities. And you don't have to have a Capital One account to use them. But if you do, you get all your coffee and pastries at half price. They're really cool. I hope that expands. I hope we see a lot more of that because I think that's that's a great thing. Much better than the scam known as WeWork, right? That's nothing like that. So Capital One, yay, Capital One. Good job on that. Boo on Starbucks and boo on WeWork and uh, boo on big office properties. Okay, I'll, I'll stop with the sound effects now. So look at this next stat, 50%. This is the estimated percentage of non-office employees in Times Square, New York, who have not been brought back to work since the pandemic began. So some pretty mind-blowing numbers there for you. Okay, next thing. And these are mind-blowing numbers in a very positive way. It's all about housing. Remember what I always say, home is the center of the universe. Be a housing investor, housing, housing, housing. At the end of the day, everybody needs a place to live. They do not need an office. They do not need to go to a shopping center, but they need a home. And this is interestingly so regional, right? This is from the National Association of Realtors, otherwise known as NAR. This is the largest trade lobbying organization on planet Earth, last time I checked, 
By the way, if I'm wrong on that, reach out, go to jasonhartman.com slash ask and give some feedback and tell me if I'm wrong or if I'm right or ask me a question or whatever you want. jasonhartman.com slash ask. So regionally, you look at the growth in the housing market, which is nothing short of phenomenal. This is the pending home sales index for August. It is up on a month-over-month number of 8.8%, but in the Midwest, it's up pretty darn good there, 8.6%. In the West, 13.1%. In the South, 8.6%. And in the Northeast, the hardest hit of all of these markets, it's up because a lot of the New Yorkers from the city and these and Washington, D.C., and Boston, and any high-density area, moving to lower-density markets. So that has sustained that one maybe better than you might think. It's still up, but it's only up 4.3%, the worst of all of the regions. Now, everything has become this really pathetic political football nowadays. And the political football We can't even decide if we believe in vaccines together, if we believe the economy is getting worse or better. It's all down party lines. You know, if if, if you tell me, do you like Fauci? I can tell you how you're going to vote, right? Do you think the economy is recovering or worsening? I can tell you how you're going to vote. So you can do this too. It's no special talent. You know, when the vaccine comes, if it ever comes, and remember, this is a this is a different kind of vaccine because it's an RNA vaccine, a much more difficult thing. So if it comes, when it comes, will you take it? Well, by answering that question, we can tell how somebody's going to vote, right? So here we are. The economy, the majority of Americans say the economy is recovering. That's good news. But let's look at how that stacks up along party lines. So 52% overall say the economy is recovering, 33% say it's getting worse, 10% say it's just about the same, and 5% they don't have an opinion, okay? So fine. But when you look at party lines and you look at Democrats, only 34% say things are getting better versus Republicans, 76% say things are getting better. Wow. That is a mind-boggling difference. A mind-boggling difference. How do you move from 34% of Democrats who say, okay, things are getting better, to the Republicans who say 76% of them, things are getting better? Now, how about things are getting worse? Well, Democrats, 48% of them say, It's getting worse. Things are not looking good. But Republicans, only 14% say things are getting worse. So do the Democrats just look at the glass as half empty and the Republicans look at the glass as half full? Are Democrats naturally more pessimistic and Republicans naturally more optimistic? Or does it depend who the current administration is? I don't know. What do you think? post your comments below, okay? And and let me know what you think about that. It's, uh, this gap is absolutely mind-boggling. It is, it's just amazing that people could be so different in their views. They're in the same economy. Well, 
not exactly. They're actually not in the same economy. Because depending on where you are on the socioeconomic ladder, depending on what type of job you have or what type of business you have, that will obviously make a difference. So yes, we're in the same macro economy, but we all have our own micro economy. So little distinction there. Okay, so let's get to our guest, Rick Sanchez. Remember, we've got our pandemic investing event coming up. Go to pandemicinvesting.com and register for that virtual event. It's on Zoom, so it's super easy to attend. And we've got early bird pricing, and we are really going to help you understand what is going on and how uneven this recovery, (laughs) if there is a recovery, how uneven it is and what to do about it, how to manage your portfolio, how to make investment decisions in these absolutely crazy times in which we live. So without further ado, let's get to our guest, Rick Sanchez. So it's a great pleasure to bring to you someone who is usually interviewing other people, and he kind of softly promised he wouldn't be interviewing me today because I'm interviewing him. That is none other than the great Rick Sanchez. You know who he is. You've seen him on RT News. What I love about Rick's segments and his philosophy toward media, which we'll explore today a little bit, but I think this is his philosophy. Maybe I'm speaking for him, but he he's a bit of a maverick. You know, he really believes in something called news. I know that may sound like an outrageous thing in today's world because it's so agenda driven and everything's so politicized. Where have all the journalists gone? I mean, it is especially the investigative journalists. So it's it's really great to have them on the show today. Rick, welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing great. You know, it's funny. Uh, I should probably let our audience know if they're not familiar with the fact that I've had you on my show a couple of times. Yep. Because I, I see you kind of as the consummate uh, expert economically, but specifically in real estate and not just theory of real estate, but actually working it with your own hands from the ground up. And that's yep. what I think is so cool. That's why, you know, I, I'm just wondering, I, I don't know if we've tackled this question when we've been on the air on the news with Rick Sanchez, where we're now getting getting upwards of millions of people tuning in because it is very different from anything offered here in the United States. And, 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 and we're going to go into that. I got to yeah. ask you all about that. It, it really it really is a fascinating, uh, a fascinating concept, what's happening with news nowadays. But let me ask you something that's uh, dear uh, and near to your heart, and that is this uptick, this surprising revelation of people buying homes up the wazoo. Yeah. And if they're doing it in such a way that's not going to cause a huge backlash down the road. Like I'm thinking people worry about delinquencies in the car business and in other kinds of businesses where people have to take out loans. What's going to happen when people don't have money in their pockets? What's going to happen if the unemployment doesn't come down? Are you worried about that? Should we be? A little bit. Now, you promised you wouldn't interview me (laughs) and you're already doing it. It's a habit. I can tell. Um, But, you know, uh, definitely a little bit. And like I've probably conveyed on your show, Rick, and I've done on the podcast before. I know you listen to the podcast, but and uh, and thank you for listening. You know, it depends where and in what price range. I think this necessity housing is going to be fine through all this. But let me tell you, I think all of us 
three months ago, we thought the world was ending. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, nobody knew what to expect. Three, three months ago, I said on my podcast, and people couldn't believe I said it, I said, if you are a new investor who's just saved up the money to buy your first two or three properties, we don't want your money. Just wait. You know, if you wait two or three months to see how this thing pans out a little bit, it'll be okay. Just don't do anything uh, because we were very unsure. And what I think this is proving, this sort of artificial boom in the economy and the stock market, number one, it's a very uneven situation. Some people are really struggling. Others aren't. Others are doing very well. It's, it's a very mixed kind of thing. But also just that the, the whole economy, not only of the U.S., of the entire world, is built on a house of cards. Yeah. It is fake, okay? I think we're all getting the sense now that no matter what happens, I mean, we got this sense during the Great Recession, that the government and the Fed is going to come in and just fix it all, which is a, probably a dangerous idea. But I'm thinking, thinking, though, and I'm nowhere near as smart as you on this. No, um, you underestimate yourself. There are some other things where I may be pretty smart, but it's not on this. <laughs> but I was talking to my wife about this the other day. Even if the average person out there is investing in real estate, I think what happens if there is a downturn is there will always still be people who need housing. Yeah. So whether there are fewer people who can hold on to their properties, right, that does not mean... Rick yeah. has just came off set, and so he's you're you're at the station right in Washington D.C. Yeah, isn't that amazing? And, uh, and then you but you go back fact. on the air here in a little while, right? It, it's it's right behind me. In fact, I'm going back on the air um, in a little while to finish. Uh, where because of the COVID situation, what many newsrooms are forced to do right now is they have teams of of uh, journalists working at one time. So normally I would come in and I would do a couple of shows, the primetime shows, seven o'clock and eight o'clock. Right now I'm doing the two o'clock, the three o'clock, the five o'clock and the seven o'clock. So, and the reason we do that, it makes sense is if somebody goes down in one team, it doesn't knock out the entire operation. You could always bring in the other team. So that's kind of what we're going through right now. So it is, it it is a little bit crazy in that uh, there are long days and long schedules and then you kind of get a week off, but not in my case, because the other team likes to have me on to do analysis the way I like to have you on to do analysis. Speaking of analysis, back to the final question, then I'll let you interview me. Sure, yeah. If in the end we do have a downturn, does it really matter to the average real estate investor as long as he has butts in seats, as they like to say? Yeah. As long as there are still people who want to be, who need to be living in homes and they need to rent anyway. Yeah, I I think you're right. I, you know, look at in the type of housing that we invest in, you catch people moving up or down the economic ladder or just staying in one place. Right. We may well see. And we saw this during the Great Recession, Rick, where, uh, you know, 2008 to 2010, 11 period, we saw people that had been foreclosed on. They used to live in a bigger house. They used to live in a nicer neighborhood. They used to send their kids to private school. Now they're renting a basic house for $1,400 a month. You know, they're sending their kids to public school. Okay. Hmm. So things change. But the nice thing is in this basic necessity housing, you're going to catch people moving down the ladder or moving up. Either way, you're, you're good. In, in the high end, that's a different story. In the very low end, like those D-class properties, I don't know. I guess you'll always have a poor class, sadly. But when times are good, uh, you know, the rising tide does 
float a lot of boats. I can't say it floats all, um, mm -hmm. but some of those people move up and some of those areas even become more blighted. I, I think the area, the, the kind of part of the market we're in is pretty safe. So the answer is if, if there is a situation where the money, the well runs dry, so to speak, there will still be people out there who are going to need housing. And yep. most of them, the trajectory of buyers vis-a-vis -vis renters might change. In a down economy, there may be more renters than buyers, but yep. that doesn't really affect the real estate investor. Right. Does it? Right. Well, it doesn't affect the investor who is truly an investor. And I'm for those of you just listening to audio, I'm, I'm doing quotes with my fingers because an investor invests for yield. They invest for cash flow, mm -hmm. whereas a speculator invests. Well, they don't invest. They speculate. They gamble for appreciation. And I, I teach one concept I call the three dimensions of real estate and what what you find is that in a so-called boom cycle, and most people consider a good, quote, real estate market to be a seller's market, meaning it's easy to sell properties, you put them on the market, you've got 10 buyers knocking down your door to buy the property. That's what most people call a good market, okay? But is that really true? It depends what your perspective is, right? Maybe a buyer's market is better, right? Maybe you know, a seller's market is better. Maybe the in-between market that I like to call a broker's market is better um, because I find it very hard to operate in a really hot market like we have now. And we've had that for quite a few years because there's very little inventory and it's very hard to please buyers right now, okay? But what happens that you basically were stating is that the amount of people in the renter pool um, stay there. They can't move into the buyer pool because they can't qualify for a loan. Maybe interest rates are too high. Housing affordability is too low or they have bad credit. And so whatever this is, they can't buy. So that push it, puts upward pressure on rents. And investors who already have a portfolio, they like that. That's a good market for a landlord. So that would be another type of market, a landlord's market, mm. right? Yeah. And actually, usually very low interest rates like we have now spur a seller's market, which is also what we have. So low interest rates make it easier for renters to become buyers. And that's not as good for landlords. Mm. If you already own your portfolio and say you have 50 units or 100 units or whatever, and you're going to welcome higher interest rates, you've got super low interest rate loans that can't be duplicated and renters are not buying because it's too hard to qualify for a high interest rate loan. So that puts you in a pretty darn good position where your rents are going up and you just sit tight and collect the rents. That's yeah. great. That's fascinating. And, yeah. and that's what happens when you put years into something like this, like you have, and you come yeah. up with a pro forma that's formulaic. And yeah. it doesn't matter what the situation is. In the final analysis, the program works. You just yeah. have to plug it in a little different way, perhaps. Right. Right. You, you have to adapt your strategy. You know, sometimes you're in a strategy where things are going up, 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 and that's like a capital gains market. Um, sometimes you're in a dividend market, meaning a cash flow market, mostly, where you're just collecting your cash flow. And that's great. Either way, you know, you can make money either way. Okay. Mm -hmm. Are you ready to talk about the media? 
Let's do that. Okay. I know a little bit about it, just yeah. a little bit. A little bit. So first of all, how long have you been in the news business? Oh, my goodness. When I was going to school at the University of Minnesota, where I had, uh, interestingly enough, gotten there, I graduated in Miami, Highly High School. I was a pretty good football player, and I got a football scholarship. Mm-hmm. Poor kid, refugee, immigrant from Cuba, my parents barely made $10,000 a year combined income. When, uh, when did your parents leave Cuba, by the way? There's an interesting story right there. 1960. Yeah. Oh, so a year after Fidel took over. In right as Fidel was taking yeah. over, they smelled that there was something yeah. totalitarian or wrong or uh, communistic. They, or they got out just in time. You know, I, I, I was in Cuba about 15 years ago, maybe. Fascinating place. Really yeah. fascinating. But so yeah, just, yeah, my parents made the decision. They didn't want their children to grow up there. We ended mm-hmm. up leaving the island. I went to uh, Miami where I was. I grew up as a regular American kid whose mom and dad did not speak English. Mm-hmm. How could they? They came very late in their lives. Sure. I um, graduated from high school, got a scholarship to go to Minnesota to play football because I was a pretty good, pretty good student, pretty good uh, football player. And then suddenly a professor tapped me on the shoulder and said, you know, you're a pretty smart kid. You look pretty good. CBS News is offering a scholarship, three in the entire nation. It's probably going to be 10,000 people who apply, but I want to recommend you because I think you got what it takes. So I, <laughs> my God, lo and behold, I applied and they, 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 they done picked me. They did uh-huh. <laughs> Fantastic. So you went to work for CBS and you were probably a reporter at first, right? In the yeah, field? I started off, I started off uh, through the University of Minnesota. Then I graduated from the University of Minnesota. I was just a punk kid trying to learn journalism. But when I graduated, there weren't a lot of people in the United States who spoke perfect Spanish and perfect English. Mm-hmm. And since I was educated in the Midwest, my English was, it was flat. It was Midwestern. So that worked to my advantage. Mm-hmm. And in Miami, they were looking for people like me. And I ended up getting a job right out of college and a pretty good one. And then I just kind of worked my way up. I went from working for NBC in Miami to then working for uh, NBC National. I worked for uh, CNN. I worked for uh, Fox News. I worked Mm -hmm. for Univision in Spanish. Uh, And now I work for RT America, which is a global situation, which is very different. So I've worked and or had a show and had some of the highest ratings Thank God, in uh, some of the biggest networks in the United States, including my show, Rick's List, at CNN, which was the highest rated show there. Fantastic. That's excellent. And so uh, when did you start at RT? Uh, 2018, October. Uh So that's about uh, about two years now. And and they recruited you from CNN? No, it's funny. Uh, CNN had uh, fired me. Uh-huh. which happens a lot in our business. You know, in our business, it's, sure. it's a lot like being a manager in baseball yeah. and the head right. coach in football. You know, you just, yeah. you get fired, you go on to the next one. And, you know, uh, the good thing is they usually pay pretty well, so you can make a pretty good salary, but then yeah. you get on your fanny from time to time. When CNN had uh, let me go, something interesting happened. And I think people who are watching us, may, this may be a heuristic experience that we can all learn from because we always wonder what is our worth? What is our value? And in my situation, Jace, when I got knocked out at CNN, I still had four mouths to feed and I had a wife and the four kids and Mm -hmm. I had to figure out what I was going to do in my life. So I went back to Miami and the first thing I did is I said, well, I'm still a broadcaster so I can do radio, which I did, but it wasn't enough money. So I have to do television. So I did television in Spanish at an independent station and it still wasn't enough money. Fox News couldn't make me a full-fledged anchor or reporter at the time, but they gave me a contributor gig, 
which still kind of wasn't enough money. But when I combined the money from Fox News and the money from, you know, radio and the money from the other gig, I was able to come close to what I was making at CNN. Mm -hmm. So now, but I was working my ass off. Right. You were basically working three gigs. Three gigs. And that's that's a lot of work and it's really, really hard. But while Mm -hmm. I was doing that, what I learned was the principles of advertising. And let me Mm -hmm. tell you why. So I had a gig on the radio where a radio station said, oh, my God, we have Rick Sanchez. So they would go to advertisers and say, we have Rick Sanchez. How'd you like to have Rick Sanchez do your commercials? Mm-hmm. We can could, we could rent you Rick Sanchez's voice. That's the way advertising works. Yeah. So I noticed that the, the radio station was doing very well with my product, my name, my brand. The uh, television station was doing very well with my product, my name, my brand. And uh, so was uh, Fox, uh, you know, distributing me the way they were. And I started thinking to myself, you know, it's funny. I'm renting myself out to all these people. What if I owned that brand? You know where I'm going here. Mm -hmm. So I knew at the time in Miami, the hottest industry was healthcare. Miami Mm -hmm. attracts a lot of older people. Right. Healthcare is a real commodity there. So I realizing that there were doctors that were looking to do advertising because the only way to make money in healthcare is to have a good marketing plan. Mm-hmm. And I realized that if I got together with some doctors and here's, here, here's, here's the cool story. I got together with some doctors. I knew there was a lot of money to be made in managed care, healthcare, where you take care of people who are 65 and need a really good doctor or provider program. I got together with some doctors and I said, look, let's go to an advertiser, a media company and say that we're working together We'll create a television show for them mm-hmm. and we'll take half the inventory of the show. In other words, Jason, and for everybody listening at home, if you're getting a half hour show, let's say there's three minutes of commercials on there. Mm-hmm. We want a minute and a half of them every night where we get to put our spots. So right. suffice it to say, I traded with them to do that. So we had my brand. I owned a piece of the company that I was negotiating for to go in there and take the show. And then we were able to do a show. I got a salary, but more importantly, I had a piece of the product and I was able to do that through this wonderful company called Cano Health. Mm-hmm. Would you believe, Jason, that four years later, that company is now ranked by Inc. Magazine as the number one fastest growing healthcare company in America? Yeah. And it, well, uh, I would believe it because I already found that out <laughs> because I, I, I looked them up after talking to you about it before, but the listeners don't know that. So go ahead. It's exciting. It's exciting yeah. to know that in your life, when you get knocked down and you have to start all over again, if you reach deep, deep inside yourself, you can find the skill level. You just have to apply it in a different arena. That's mm-hmm. all. Yeah. People don't, don't realize that they think, well, all I know how to do is this. No, just because that's what you did doesn't mean that's all you know how to do. And, and Rick, the maybe the forward. lesson, the lesson for everybody listening is, look, you know, we're going through a, a very uneven time, obviously, in the economy with all that's going on. It's crazy. And things change during these times. Creative destruction happens. People get fired. Companies go out of business. Changes happen. And being able to adapt to that. And, you know, it, I mean, how many stories have we all heard about how someone got fired and it was the best thing that ever happened to them? Uh Although they didn't feel that way that day, right? They felt, Oh God, the world is over. But then it turns out to be a blessing in disguise, right? That's exactly what happens. And, you know, I, I would never have thought that that day when I was fired and I was sitting in my closet at night, crying because I didn't want my wife and my kids to see me that way. I never in my wife in, in, in my life imagined that 
I would go on to start a company that's worth probably over a billion dollars. And yeah. that is uh, now, you know, I, I'm in the, st- I'm, I'm almost in an investor status where I'm a very, very wealthy guy. It's yeah. Like, I'm embarrassed saying it. Congratulations. <laughs> That's the American dream. Yeah. You know, from one generation, you know, poor people leaving Cuba and, and here you go. So that's that's yeah. right. There is the American dream, folks. Could that have happened in many other countries? It could have no, happened. Certainly not in but, Cuba. <laughs> yeah, well, certainly not in Cuba. That's for sure. Unless you were with the government and you were on the inside. Right. right? That's the one small group that gets that. Rick, um, that's a great story. Talk to us about the media business and the media landscape. Here's what I'm uh, thinking. First of all, I've been following RT News for, I don't know, 12 years now or something, uh-huh. maybe 10 years. And um, it's kind of weird you know, here's, you know, the Russian government is actually an investor in this company. Yeah. Okay. So they exert, I guess, some form of editorial control. But, you know, the news stories are fantastic. I mean, they cover, I, uh, you know, I, I read their stuff on my, on my, see my dog, on my iPhone app. And, um, uh, you know, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> We're both showing dog pictures for those of you who aren't watching dogs and families. Uh, I, I mean, they're, they're, it's, some of the best news yeah. stories out there. You know, you don't get this stuff on CNN. This is like kind of um, what counterintuitive. I see. When, 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 I, I see where you're going with that. And, and I understand you're bewildered as I kind of yeah. am in many ways. It's Look, bewildering. That's the right word. Yeah, it is. You know, I do not trust RT to tell me what's going on in Russia. Mm. I just don't trust them. I think yeah. somehow they're going to be influenced. Right. Like in many ways, I don't trust the BBC, who is also you know, an institution kind of owned yeah. by the government as well. Yeah, right. And I have a feeling whenever they do a story about Hong Kong, it's always anti-China and pro-Britain. Well, of right. course, Hong Kong used to belong to you, and now you sound like you're jealous. Yeah, but right. Whatever. We could we could go into all kinds of sure. think stories one at a time and delineate what it is about them that makes the communicator bias. For some reason, when I say I maybe not, I wouldn't trust RT to give me all my information about Russia. I don't trust CNN or MSNBC, or Fox, or any U.S. channel, and some newspapers, when they give me information about the United States. Oh, I mean, I don't think anybody will disagree on either side of the political aisle. I mean, the mainstream news media has gone off the rails. Yeah, they have. It's, it's insane. And, you know, you probably know about this, but the New York Times has closed its offices and told all its journalists, journalists in quotes, you know, to go work out of the house. So guess what they're going to see? They're going to sit on the Internet and see all the things that are the echo chamber of what they already believe. And that's basically going to be stories from this formerly venerable institution. The New York Times years ago was this amazing company. They're not investigating anything. There's a lot of reasons for that, though. And first of all, I will defend the honor of most journalists who are real journalists. I also understand and there, by the way, are very few real journalists left because most of the I people agree. on television, yeah. not besmirching any of these people. I'm not besmirching Tucker Carlson. I'm not besmirching Cuomo or Rachel or Anderson or any of these people. The great majority of them are not hired because they're journalists. The, the, a true journalist is someone who has, who has uh, cut their teeth covering stories, researching stories, picking up the phone, calling people. Mm-hmm. Tell me about this. 
Tell me about that. Explain that to me. Like I have done with you while I'm sitting here in this office preparing my newscast. Right. A journalist is not somebody who has a television show on some cable network who they hand scripts to. And he has 42 writers who prepare his material. And then he goes out there and puts on makeup and just starts reading. Yeah. Nobody writes my copy. I write my own damn copy. here right. at and, and I know that to be true because you interviewed me three times and two of those times you sent me a write-up uh, right off your own computer exactly. uh, from your email address before the interview and said, uh, what do you think of these things and these talking points? And, um, you know, this is this is what I want to dive into today. So, yeah, I, I know. But those guys, you know, and, and at the same time, if I were one of those persons that I just named and I was making five, six, seven, eight million dollars a year, which is what they're paid. Right. Uh, because there's so few of those positions. They want to take care of them. I don't want to use the word bribe, but. Let's just say that they are influenced heavily by a salary that makes them then not ask the questions that in the old days journalists used to ask. Right. And journalism has also changed in this way. There is more control now from the outside. Look, it used to be, Jason, I'll be straight with you. In the old days, there was some guy in Miami or in Wichita or in Kansas City who owned the local newspaper. Mm -hmm. And he owned the local radio station and he owned the local television station. That's no longer the case. It's not one guy with the yeah. pride of his community. It's all corporatized. It's, it's his giant conglomerates who owns your company and pays everything. And the salespeople in the old days, if they walked into a newsroom in the old days and started spouting off about what they think our coverage should be or why we need to do a story on this or that. No way. They would have kicked their ass. Yeah. Literally, yeah. they would have kicked their ass. There, there was a real divide between advertising news. and news. Absolutely. Yeah. That doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. The New York Times is influenced by their advertisers. They're sure. influenced by Verizon. The people who sit on the board of the New York Times, the people who sit on the board of, of, uh, of CNN or Time Warner, the people who sit on the board of all Disney, all these major media companies. There's some Something called interlocking going on in our society. You know that term. It's mm -hmm. a, a business school term. It means that a guy on the board of one company, let's just say Raytheon, a guy who makes mm -hmm. money on missiles, yeah. sits on the board of a company that does news. How convenient. Suddenly you're doing news stories promoting a war. Why? Yeah. yeah. You know, right. so, and, and I'm just using that. And, as, and pharmaceutical industry is another great example. I mean, exactly. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, so so this so when people say to me, my God, you're working in RT and they have Russian influence, I say you're working at CNN or yeah. you're working wherever you're working. Right. And let, let's talk about your influence. Let's talk mm -hmm. about who really makes the decisions about what comes out, because I'm sick and tired, Jason, of mm -hmm. watching newscasts that do nothing but talk about the latest Trump tweet and the latest Trump faux pas and why he's good and why he's bad. Right. While there are things going on in the world. Today, I did an interview with the ambassador from uh, Iran, and I asked him seven or eight pointed questions about what they're doing to foment terrorism, about what happened with Soleimani. Uh, the day before I had talked to the ambassador, I think you remember, I don't know if you were on that show, the ambassador from Saudi Arabia, and I hammered him. And I do stories about what's going on in the South China Sea, where World War Three could pop up. It's about to go, yeah, right. And damn it to hell, nobody's talking about these things on those other channels. It's the yeah. same crap every day. Yeah. So pardon me for getting passionate. Yeah. You really asked the ambassador to I, I, from Iran or the Iranian ambassador to the U.S.? The Iranian ambassador to America came on my show live today. And you asked him, what are you doing to foment terrorism? Why are you fomenting terrorism? <laughs> oh, my God. That's a tough question. <laughs> you wouldn't hear that from some CNN quack. <laughs> no, I mean, but you know what? He respects me more for it. And that's right. because that's what I'm supposed to do. You know, right. Yeah. Or beat anybody up. Or you know, Rick, or anti-Trump. 
hearing you talk about this stuff, the, the word that comes to my mind, and I love investigative journalism. I mean, that is like my passion, that and consumer advocacy. You know, I grew up watching a show in L.A. called Fight Back with David Horowitz. Yeah, and I, I used I used to love to watch that guy. He was a consumer advocate and he used to go out there and expose all these scams, you know, person getting ripped off at the auto repair shop or whatever it was. And I thought that guy was the best. That was journalism, you know, uh, and and the, the word that comes to my mind when you talk about this stuff is the word grit. You know, a, a journalist used to be gritty, yeah. like they would stand up against the evils of the establishment. They would expose the, the charlatan and the, you know, the, the scammer and, the, and the, the church doing wrong deeds or whatever it was, the government doing, you know, payoffs. And uh, I mean, we just that's all but gone, isn't it? Yeah, that's why guys like me get fired all the time, because in the end of the day, you got to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and fight for whatever you believe the truth is and be as transparent as possible in sharing with your audience how you got there. Yeah. And they may disagree. There may be some sometimes you're going to get it wrong. I'm highly imperfect. I'm a sure. huge screw up. Yeah. But you know what? If you go in every day thinking, I'm going to try and find out what actually is going on. I'm going to dig. I'm going to question. Yeah. I'm Try and fill every minute of my time before I go on the air, trying to find out what the story is really all about. And then I'm going to present it. At the end of the day, that's what we do. We tell stories. We are, and in television, we are the theater of facts. Mm -hmm. The theater of facts. Think about that. We yeah. have to still, you still have to put on a show. You still have to go on the air and say, good evening, everybody. I'm Rich Sanchez. Today, we have found out such and such, and I can't wait to share this with you, blah, blah, blah. So I am, to a certain extent, performing my facts. Right. Damn it to hell. It Your better facts. be factual. It yeah. better be real. And don't BS me. You know? Yeah, that's great. That's great. You know, one area of life that has become so corrupted also is the area of, and this is kind of a, a sideline, but the area of awards, you know, like the Nobel Prize or, and I, what I want to ask you about is one of my favorites, the Pulitzer Prize. You know, that's an investigative journalist award, right? Have those become kind of just watered down and political where they're giving them to people? I mean, you look at what goes on in like Hollywood, even with the Academy Awards, not that I have any respect for. No, it's funny you say that because you know, obviously I'm a capitalist, right? I, I believe in the free market and I defend it, but I do believe that we do get to a point in our own capitalistic society, I guess this is where it turns into maybe crony capitalism, yep. where people can get so much, amass so much power and wealth that they start to buy, just like they buy politicians and senators and congressmen today, they can also buy, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. So there's these organizations like the Spanish, like the uh, Hispanic American Journalists Association, mm -hmm. the Black American Journalists Association, the, every organization has their own yep. group, right? Well, right. These organizations are essentially paid, right, to promote the welfare of that group. Guys with Blue Shirts Journalists Association. Yeah, say, right, right. A blue shirt. <laughs> there won't be a white guys association, though, I'll tell you that much. All right. Whatever That'll the, never happen. <laughs> whatever the association is, and it may be, and that's fine. People yeah. should have association or groupings. But here's the yeah. problem with those associations, okay? So the Hispanic Association, Hispanic American Association, who you think is going to defend and go after CNN, for example, or mm -hmm. MSNBC, or Fox, or whoever. Right. Fox writes them a check for mm -hmm. $200,000 mm -hmm. 
to make sure that uh, they don't go after them. And guess mm-hmm. what? They don't go after them. Wow. Um, yeah. when, when Lou Dobbs was in a lot of trouble at CNN because he was saying some things that I frankly wish he hadn't said, and Lou's my friend, and the Hispanic American Association of Journalists was uh, going to do something against him, I was there. CNN wrote a check to the organization. Suddenly they had him as their guest speaker. So... <laughs> It's like, this, this is ridiculous. Yeah, do some of these groups get influenced? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, they do, and I've seen it with my own eyes. Yeah, it's just like uh, you know, Deep Throat from Watergate, right? Follow the money, exactly. follow the money. You know, that's the you know, that's what makes the world go round, and there's influence everywhere you look. It's it's absolutely crazy. The only thing that I think is a little different for me now, when when I was, I told you I was running this company in Miami, and the company was doing very well. Can Oil. It's a great company. And there were, there were three of us. One was the CEO. The other one was the chief medical officer. And I was the chief marketing officer. And then I got a call from an agent in California. And he said, you know, there's these guys looking for you. They want you back in the business to go back and do television mm-hmm. national or global in this case. And you know, Jason, I said, no, I don't want to get back in. There's no mm-hmm. way I don't want to get back in. And then I came up here and I talked to him. And when I felt like I had an opportunity to produce a show, with true journalistic independence, where I get to choose the stories and talk mm-hmm. about the things that matter right. and not be interfered with. And when I felt like they made that commitment to me and I never looked back, it took the opportunity and it's been a lot of fun yeah. doing the stories that nobody else is doing. That's that's awesome. That's that's really good. So um, what uh, where's the news business going, Rick? Maybe we'll just kind of wrap it up with a little discussion on this. Is there any hope for real journalism to come back? I mean, I do like the thing that you have all these small independent outlets uh, nowadays. Uh, You know, that's good. But the social media platforms are censoring everybody like crazy. It's this is an Orwellian dystopian world we live in. I don't know what to think of it. Find a way to communicate their message. And I think it'll be up to us as consumers, as news consumers, to be able Mm -hmm. to find the difference. I think we're going into uncharted territory, though. And you're a guy who studies trends, right? There's nobody watching CNN or Fox or MSNBC or CBS or ABC or name your damn channel under the age of 45. Mm-hmm. There's barely anybody watching under the age of 55. Mm-hmm. And most are over the age of 60 or 70. Mm-hmm. So what happens to this new generation? How are they going to consume news? Where are they going to get their news? Mm-hmm. They're not going to get it in ter- terrestrial stations. So the streaming, the places on our phones, this is, gonna, this, this is where it's going to live. Mm-hmm. And let us just hope that the principles, the ethics that guys like I learn from by going to a real journalism school at the University of Minnesota, where these things were pounded into you. Let's just hope that those people have some of those core principles, because without them, in the end, we're lost, whether yeah. we're talking about real estate or business or journalism or anything else. Right? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Um, Rick, do you have anything you want to share, like a, a website or a Twitter handle or anything like that? No, I do a show every night. It's called uh, The News with Rick Sanchez. Yep. Yeah, and great. Uh, you can watch it on RT America. Or these days, we've established something that we just started called Portable TV. Portable TV, to answer your question earlier about what's coming up in the future, is a, 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 a place where you can go to get the news and you can do so automatically. It's an app. And in the future, 
people are going to get their news from us. And uh, it's pretty cool that we yeah. just started this app and it's blowing up. So it's kind of good. Good stuff. Good to hear. So how does someone find that? Do they look up portable TV literally yeah, or do they look up TV, RT? Down, download the portable TV app and okay. you'll see Rick Sanchez. His Excellent. All over the place. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, Rick Sanchez, uh, thanks for keeping journalism alive. What's left of it. And uh, let's hope it comes back. And uh, we appreciate your contribution to that. Take care. And I appreciate yours, Jason. You're a good guy. I like you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. Be sure to check out the show's specific website and our general website, hartmanmedia.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Remember that guest opinions are their own. And if you require specific legal or tax advice or advice in any other specialized area, please consult an appropriate professional. And we also very much appreciate you reviewing the show. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio or whatever platform you're using and write a review for the show. We would very much appreciate that. And be sure to make it official and subscribe so you do not miss any episodes. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Music